Hi, this is John Waits, and you're listening to Stuck in the 80s. <laughs> <laughs> I know, right after you say that you don't like the 80s. <laughs> Travel back in time to the 80s, reliving the movies. Say hello to my little friend! The philosophy. Carpe diem. Seize the day. And the camaraderie. I feel the need. The need for speed. Ow! Because just like you, we're stuck in the 80s. Can you say stuck in the 80s? Stuck in the 80s, it's your buddy, Steve Spears with TampaBay.com. And with me, my uh, corpulent... <laughs> corpulent? Come on, I was gonna, I, I'm feeling romantic today. I uh, want to reach out and hug you. It's a very romantic, passionate show. It's uh, John Waite Day here at Stuck in the 80s, if the opening tune didn't give it away. Uh, John Waite's coming to town. He's playing uh, Ruth Eckerd Hall in Clearwater with Rick Springfield and Eddie Money on September 15th. So we had a chance to talk to him today from his home in Southern California, and... I gotta admit, I was kind of surprised. I mean, this is a guy who definitely lives with his heart. I mean, he's you know he's not, all heart. Yeah, not to not to sound super cheesy. I mean, I, I thought it was really great. And John has a, a new album out called Downtown Journey of a Heart. And maybe you've heard about um, he does a duet with Alison Krauss. They redo Missing You, right? And it's devastating. It's very, very, very good. And John talks about that, as you'll see in the interview. He talks about how he came to work with Alison Krauss and how they really had this connection, you know. And I didn't, I didn't want to offend John Waite, but when that song is over and these guys recorded together in the studio, I was going to ask you guys just start making out, you know. I mean, there's a lot of chemistry and passion there. Yeah, I mean, it's. I mean, you can just feel. I mean, the original version of the song is great, and and their version of the song is very true to the original. But it's a, but it's a duet, and there's a little bit more. There's a definitely a lot more yearning and angst in it. Oh man, I mean, I, I mean, know. it hurts to listen to it. You know, I'm I'm telling you, I get busted for like kissing John Wayne's ass on this interview, but I actually am a pretty big fan. And what I like most about it is you'll hear that this guy, everything he wrote, like we keep using the word, but it really did kind of come from come from the heart, right? right. I mean, he's very very passionate on this. He's uh, you know, um, right. um, he's he's pretty much the serious artist. I don't think a lot of people realize he's been around a long time. I mean, John Waite got into music in the 70s with the Babies. Right, Sean? You were a big Babies fan. And you were I was a big, a big baby. baby. Well, I was sitting here in, in the, the diaper, 70s, which yeah. is very ironic. And, yeah, uh, Isn't It Time? I right. love this song. Perfect pop were, song, he, Isn't It Time? They were huge. They were a huge band in the 70s, making a lot of hits. Um, they didn't survive 1980. They they broke up, and John Waite went on to a solo career, and that's where a lot of 80s fans probably know him, because he, he reeled out hit after hit after hit. He had... Um, Missing You, which is obviously his biggest one. He had Change, from which a lot of people wouldn't realize was a song from the Vision Quest yes. soundtrack. Go back and listen to our Vision Quest. Yeah. And, uh, in which Steve and I record that Vision Quest in Unitards. Yes, exactly. That, that uh, podcast. And then he has this song, which is one of my favorites, called If Anybody Had a Heart from the About Last Night soundtrack. Let's listen to that for a second. 
I love that song, and so I'm going to be heartbroken here in about five minutes when John Wade tells me <laughs> he doesn't perform it live in concert and never has. This guy is completely full of surprises, and uh, there's no sense putting it off. Let's launch into the interview now. Yeah, I think people are going to like this one. Hey, John, how you doing? This is Sean Daly. I'm the music critic here. Hello, Sean. How are you doing? Oh, it's awesome to hear John Waite's voice coming, coming through well, my uh, headphones. I don't know. Every time I wake up, I say the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> hey, thanks for talking to us today. Oh, it's my pleasure. I, um, I reviewed uh, uh, Downtown Journey of a Heart in the paper, and I believe I gave it a B plus. Oh, great. I gave it a B plus, and... Uh, no way. I, I thought that... Uh, yeah. I, well, oh, no, come I, on. Oh, come on. Trust me. Steve will tell you. A <laughs> John, B, a B, yeah. John, a B plus from Sean is like a... Uh, it's like getting a perfect score on the SAT. <laughs> really? I'm, I'm yeah. really stingy. But oh. one, I thought that you and Rounder Records is just about the best pairing I can think of. I thought that was really smart, you and Rounder. How'd that come about? Well, it was, uh, I don't know, it's, it's a long story, but after the duet with, with Alison, uh, it was right underneath their noses, the album. Right. And uh, I was looking for a deal, and they seemed the most interested. That's and and Alison's on Rounder. great thing to be involved with Alison's label, you know? Oh, yeah. I mean, that duet, we should tell listeners, I mean, if they haven't heard it yet, John does this amazing duet of Missing You. They were doing it as a duet with Alison Krauss, who I'm going to say Alison Krauss may be the best female singer out there. I think she's the best everything to me. I mean, she's uh, has some shaft of light that's just come out of the sky. I mean, she's, uh, she's a wonderful person, but she's beautiful and has a tremendous amount of talent. I mean, it's been a really... Uh, it's just changed my life. I mean, it, it kind of raised the bar for me on a lot of levels. And I think that when I met her, I was kind of wondering what I was doing making the album. It was like going over old ground. Sure. And uh, it was kind of a strange experience for me to go backwards. And uh, when I hit Missing You, it was like, uh, you know, it, it was the moot point, either do it or, or leave it off the record. But when it came to do a duet, it, it just changed the whole complexion of the record. And I went on from there to New York and added new songs, and it became a different album entirely. Yeah, can you explain a little bit, going back to, to you and Allison, how that came about? Well, I've been listening to country and playing country most of my life. I mean, since I was a kid, it was Marty Robbins and, and you know, cowboy music, and my cousin Michael was a great banjo player, acoustic guitar player, so I was aware of Big Bill Brunsey and Hank Williams when I was about five. And so, as with most English rock singers, we have a very strong strand of country and in our makeup, as well as the blues. And um, it's just always been there. I, I wrote country songs for the babies. Some of them they used, some of them they didn't. And uh, there's country songs in my solo work. Uh, I think that by the time I hit this album, I'd been making fairly acoustical-driven records for like the last 12 years. After Bad English, I went back to the acoustic guitar entirely. Well, I, I tried know- to distance myself from that big production as fast as possible. I'd, it'd been a bit of a disappointment. As, as exciting as it was, well, that was a project. It wasn't a life mission. Well, Restless Heart on the No Breaks album. Yeah, uh, exactly. And Restless Heart is a great, great track. And that's very, uh, I'm not going to say, yeah, kind of country. I mean, it's very, it has that acoustic guitar. And, well, you it's know. got slide guitar on the whole thing. I mean, it is a country song. I mean, it was yeah. written to be a country song. And there was no place for that in the babies. I actually turned that song down. I had to wait for four years to cut that song. But, you know, I mean, that's where my heart's been for a long time. And I think especially being older, 
that kind of music lends itself to storytelling. I mean, it is about storytelling, and I've become more lyrical, I think, as I got older. I was trying to tell stories. So, which leads a long segue around to Alison, but by the time I hit Missing You, I was just so honored to be part of that circle. You know, for her to say yes and work on Missing You. So you reached out to her? Oh, yeah. I mean, it, was, it, it wasn't, absolutely. I, mean, I wasn't even aware that if she knew who I was. But, <laughs> but she jumped at the, the chance and said yes immediately, and we got together, and, and everything started from there. Did you, re- did you record it? In the, were you guys in the same studio when you guys yeah. recorded that? Oh, you no, were. I, I flew down to, to, to meet her, and uh, we actually met on the street three hours before we were supposed to be in the studio. We bumped into each other. So there was a whole kismet kind of thing about it, a very... Well, you know, I was thinking about duets lately, and uh, you don't hear a lot of great ones anymore. And because a lot of times people are recorded in different studios, right. and but you guys obviously—I don't want to sound cliche because if people haven't heard this version, it's unbelievable. But you guys have this amazing chemistry on that song. Well, we, yeah, I mean, meeting her was was electric, and the afternoon we spent together was like getting to know each other. We tried singing it a few different ways, and the second afternoon we just nailed it. Every time I think of you Yeah, the song obviously meant a lot to her, too, you can tell. Yeah, uh, I mean, it was my idea that she might start the song out, because people would not expect that. I was trying to get as far away from the original as possible, and her interpretation of the lyric is so tender. It's it's a heartbreaking thing, because you're suddenly aware of a a telephone conversation between two people, and it, it stops being just in the first person. And I think it's more tortured that there's a phone call between two people where they're denying that they love each other. John, I think a lot of people, when they first hear that song, think of it as a love song. And then the more you hear it, you start to realize it's more of a heartbreaking kind of a song. Well, it's two people that can't live together or who have lost their chance. It were living with the fact that um, there's a hole in their lives the size of the Grand Canyon, and they'll never get it right. But it's, it's, it's a, that's why it's poignant, I think, because it's... Um, it's the end of the road for two people, really. Have, has, has there been any talk about you and Allison, uh, her may showing up on some of your tour dates? or? Uh... Well, we did. We, we played Opryland together uh, about three months ago. We got up at, op- at the, the Opry and played some songs. That was a very big thing for me to play in front of a country audience. And Vince Gill got up and played with us. That was fantastic. Oh, wow. Wow. And, yeah, it was big. And I, that's the most nervous I've been in about 30 years. That oh. was like, you know... I just can't even describe what that was like for me, but that was a big honor. Is there is that available anywhere? That version, the live version? Uh, no, that was just it was just on on their radio broadcast, and um, uh, I should have recorded it, but it seemed it was so impromptu. It was two shows a night for two nights, along with the whites. The whites played and uh, a, a lot of different country bands, but it was so thrown together. The Opry happens; they just call your name out, um, and you walk out and. 
somebody plugs you in and somebody raises the mic and you that's it that's the soundtrack that's Jeez, awesome that's great so i was about, you know i was having kittens but they were really great the audience I, i've never i'd have never expected the, the welcome i've had in nashville but uh i've been going down there seriously for about 12 years to write and record and i went down there to write more acoustic driven uh, country songs basically and they all wanted to write songs like the babies so it's like um it's um, it's a surprise, but it's it's a wonderful thing for me. It's it's exactly where I want to be in my life. Speaking of the live shows, you're playing here uh, September 15th at Ruth Eckerd Hall as part of an 80s type of a show with uh, Eddie Money and Rick Springfield. Yeah, um, is that the kind of lineup? I mean, do you associate yourself a lot with the 80s? Are you comfortable? No, with I don't. I uh, I don't at all. In fact, I distance myself from that entirely. I won't do anything that's billed as 80s if it's um. I've done a couple of songs recently with Eddie, and he's a great guy, and he's got some beautiful songs. And uh, we're all friends. It's just a great thing to to play, you know. Uh, the, the acoustic thing very much appeals to me because I do about forty percent of the shows we play are acoustic song, uh, acoustic gigs. But I don't really align myself with anything. I've I've had to rise above all that because I mean, the, the babies, all their biggest hits happened in the seventies. Right. And so there's only a couple of really big hits from the 80s. And then there was Bad English. And then there was all the solo stuff again that was probably more singer-songwriters. So the, the audience come to see you no matter what. I mean, we're doing a Borders bookstore tour very shortly. And I mean, we're just trying to diversify as much as possible. I'm way above uh, standing underneath any banner. It's music is music. I think people are really going to be floored when they when they hear the uh, um, the new album. You know, I, I think that uh, it, it's just you know it's just tremendous. And I wanted to ask you about speaking speaking of the babies. Yeah. When you go back and you revisit this, what I consider a perfect rock song with "Isn't It Time," right. and you go back and you you're, you're rethinking it. Is there like some hesitancy there about going back and messing with? Perfection? No, no. I, I look at the production. It's the production that that I I tinker with because the production is of its time. I mean, uh, the producer was a very good producer, but but we were only twenty two or three as musicians, and and I was only just learning how to sing properly and uh, for for recording. I've been singing most of my life, but recording singing is a whole different thing. And playing in the studio and interacting with each other and trying to make economic records that cut to the chest and were, were artistic and yet still were available. You know, it's a big, tall order. But to revisit that 25 years later or more, I, I played bass on Isn't It Time the first time and the second time, and the bass playing's better and the singing's way better. <laughs> <laughs> but the originals have enormous charm. But, um, you know, there's just all those years of experience. But I'm, I'm a classicist in some ways. I like things that are simple, and I like a classic sound. I don't like big production. Right. I don't like being touched by other people's ideas in production. The song is, is absolutely everything. And I've always tried to, like the late 60s British bands like Free and Traffic, it's the band playing that's, that's, that's the production, not somebody else coming in and adding echo and delay and all this stuff. Right. It should sound like it sounds live. Well, I don't want. I, I'm, I'm, that's, I'm glad you said that because I don't want to piss you off because I really prefer the new version of when oh, I they, see, when I hey, see you smile to the old one. 
thank you. Yeah, well, it's a better song than it appears to be. I mean, when it's played as a very quiet, heartfelt um, acoustic song, as with most really good songs, it stands up. If you can't play it on the acoustic and make it sound good, it's not that good to begin with. I just can't find the answers to the questions went through my mind. And hey, babe, isn't it time? In life, it's your time to wait. Falling in love could be your mistake. Isn't it time? In life, it's your time to wait. To fall in love. Falling in love could be your mistake. Now, you mentioned bad English a couple times, and I have to ask, because a lot of the people who listen to our podcast are big 80s fans, do you, do you look back on that decision to join that, uh, uh, to form that group as sort of a mistake now, or just a good learning experience? Or? Well, you know, at the time I was bored to death with uh, being solo, and my record company had lost two records back-to-back. They'd actually gone out of business at one point. EMI had changed from EMI America to EMI Manhattan, and I was really kind of stumped. I'd, I'd made two strong solo records. I just ran out of steam, so I wanted to lose myself in a band. The band was, was such a big sound. The big sound thing is, to me, it's not really my cup of tea, but I tried to instill inside of that uh, very intense lyrics that were like solo artist kind of lyrics against that backdrop. It hadn't been done, really. The, the Chili Peppers have actually gone there occasionally because they're so sensitive that they were, they were thinking about things which were kind of heart-wrenching against this tremendous funk. But I had the idea of trying to sort of explain those solitary kind of stories against a big band sound. You know, they were very good players, and, and it was fun to tour, and it was great, but there was no way it could have lasted more than the two albums, because I think people wanted to go... I mean, after two albums of that, I wanted to go back to something very Spartan and stripped down, <laughs> and I think they wanted to go back to Journey, you know? Now, speaking of Journey, you've worked with Jonathan Cain several times, and you worked with Neil Sean when you were with Bad English, and you've even toured with Journey. You know they need a, lead, they need a new lead singer now. Uh, they have, haven't they got one? Uh, I think they just uh, parted ways with him. If, if they oh, came, really? If they came up to you and said... Uh, well, I couldn't do it. I mean, I sing in a whole different style, yeah. and uh, I've... Um, I don't know. I, it, the bad English thing was fun because we wrote those songs, and we had we just stuck to those songs. But I couldn't get up there and sing somebody else's songs, I don't think. I don't uh, think it's... I'm capable of doing that. To I think you could, the songs, you know, I think you could do a pretty good job of open arms. <laughs> Well, I don't know. I mean, I prefer things like, you know, I'm so lonesome I could cry. I mean, I'm, yeah. I'm, I seem to have... The older you get, the drama of life seems to be more in your face. And there's, there's things I want to get to and, and put across to people that I think I can only do with, with a band that's more roots-oriented, you right. know? Right. So, I mean, are there... And I'll tell you what, son. I'm English. So, I mean, it's... And, and a journey thing is a very, very American sound. Yes, and it, it is. I love Americana, like, like country music and blues. That's a different kind of America. I mean, that's that's a more Caucasian kind of American music. <laughs> I remember seeing a badly drawn boy. Do you know badly drawn boy? Yes, yeah. he's a he's a Brit. 
And uh, he, I saw him. He was, he's, he's a great, you know, great singer songwriter. But he was making fun of Americans for liking Journey so much, and he well, was talking about how it's such an inherently, you know, yeah. American mall sort of sound, the Journey sound. Well, you know, it's there. The people. I mean, anybody that likes music and gets a, a buzz out of it. There's there's chocolate and vanilla. You know, I mean, I I truly wish everyone the best. I'm just I, my path is in a different direction completely. Right. Hey, um, I you know from the way you're talking, it sounds like the next album, uh, uh even more country and roots oriented. I'm not sure. I've, I've, since 1993, when I released an album called Temple Bites, it's all been very sort of singer-songwriter, but still rock. It's still based in the guitar. Yeah. There's no synthesizers anywhere near my music, really. It never has been. And uh, I, it's, it's a path that's led me through some really great records and going back this time around and um, doing Isn't It Time and having to revisit those songs. I mean, I am a rock singer, but I have these roots. So I've, I've got um, a lot of songs ideas, rough drafts in the back of my head, and I'm thinking about turning my attention to a new record, but I'm fairly close with Alison, and a lot of the conversations we have are, are about the true thing, and I think cliche is to be avoided at all costs. Right. Hey, let, me, let me ask you this, John. Are you still playing um, If Anybody Had a Heart in your current nope. set? No, we've never done that live. Really? We've never ever once played that live. Really? You know, I just bought the other day, I bought the soundtrack for about last night, just, be, just because <laughs> I wanted that song. Oh man, that's cool. Did now was uh, did did um, Don Henley appear on that song? Don Henley was singing with me on the chorus. Yeah, he helped produce it, and he was there in, in the sessions. Yeah, excellent. excellent. So, do you, you seem like you don't do it in concert? Is it? Do you have like a distaste for the song, or no? It's just uh, we have at the very most an hour and a half to play. Right, and you wouldn't believe the amount of songs that I have to cover, and there are certain songs that I wrote. 20 years ago that fit with songs I've written last year and they're the ones that will live together in a set and and sound honest. Are you doing and, are you doing Highway 61 live? No. We haven't learned that one either. I mean it's because that would take the place of something that um believe me, I would, if I could if I could get away with playing half a set of Dylan songs, I would do it. <laughs> yeah, but sometimes we do. I mean, it's such I have such contempt for the expectation. I think people come to see the the the, the, the attitude and the voice and the songs. And I've I've spent I've digressed a couple of times on stage and stopped the show and just got the acoustic guitar out and played like some songs that really interest me, folk songs or blues songs, and the audience just go with you. And I, I've that's given me enormous freedom. It's like doing the Borders bookstore tour that we're doing in about two weeks. You just show up at like you know noon, and you play to whoever shows up, and it can be like four hundred people or forty, but you can play anything you want, and there's and it's for free. So I don't feel I ha- compelled to give people all the hits or whatever they need. I just whatever I feel like doing, and if somebody shouts out a song, we can do a request, you know, and it's always got a, a great touch to it, a great feel. But the world's a bigger place than the records, you know? Yeah. I, I've once heard that someone described you, or maybe you described yourself as sort of the, the anti-rock star. Is that a fair label? <laughs> well, I, I don't know. I mean, I, being English and, and having the past that I've got, I've lived it flat out. But I've also always been interested in country and blues. And the truth of the, of the world isn't in artifice. It's not obviously, that's like saying an obvious thing. But to be phony or to put up that front to live out a plastic kind of image and repeat that just for the money and play the same songs every night and people do play to tapes on stage these days 
and they have singers that sound like the old singers when the singer leaves, and all that kind of thing. They sell you a T-shirt on the way out the door. There's something about that that I found really disturbing, and it and it's not only the band doing it, but that the audience would sit through it. Right. And for my life, if it ends tomorrow, I would like to go out being true to myself. And tomorrow is is uh, an endless highway. Somebody once said, "I just want to go forward." Wow. I'm going to write that down. <laughs> hey, I, I, think it, I think it's Tim Harden, actually. <laughs> hey, listen, I might, I, I might never get a chance to talk to John Wade again, so I just have to ask a kind of a, a personal question sure. for me. You know, right now I'd probably have to pay about 80 bucks on Amazon to get a copy of No Breaks, and yeah. I'm wondering if there's any, ever plan, any plan for um, a reissue of that. I wouldn't know. EMI own all the rights and Christmas, and they release the albums uh, periodically, and they don't consult me at all. They just put the records really? out. Really? Oh, it's such a great album. It's tier, yeah, you tier. know, but I mean, if you go on, on eBay, there's, there's probably a dozen copies available. That's a good... All right, there you yeah, go. Awesome. All right. Because uh, I want to get Tears. Tears was one of my favorites growing up. I was a big fan. Uh, there I know you it, go. It, it's, I know it's a, that big sound that, uh, you know, I guess you're, you're trying to get away from, but I, Tears meant well, a lot I mean, to Tears was, was pretty much like me and Gary Myrick. That's a Texas guitar player. That was a three-piece band. Wow, really? It's just, a, it's just everybody playing live in the studio. Oh, it's a great song. I just try to stay away from synthesizers. I, I just I find that annoying. But, right. I mean, I'm all about the guitar and loud guitar. I mean, it's rock and roll. It's just yeah. how you're playing it. The Rolling Stones are probably the best rock and roll band in the world. And that's all guitar-driven. Right. Good, right. Point. Good point. Well, John, I'm a, I'm a big fan, and we're really looking forward to seeing you when you come here. Well, when you I'm come to Clearwater. It'll be great to see everybody. And uh, we always have a great time. So there you go, John Waite. I was falling in love. You were. It was like he was a poet. I was in college, and I was just like, he's so dreamy. You want to start snapping your fingers after everything he said. <laughs> I, I dig it, man. Snapping, yeah, snapping. He's something. great. Uh, we uh, after we finished the show with him, we asked him, you know, would you mind recording us this little, you know, intro that you hear at the beginning of the show where he says who he is and and that he's stuck in the eighties, and he. He couldn't stop laughing yeah. when we asked him to do that because I mean he spends twenty minutes telling us how <laughs> he doesn't like the eighties and then and then we ask him to tell us that he's stuck in the eighties and then he tells us then he goes into this little thing about how much he loves the seventies and I just we didn't include it in the show but I want I want you to hear what he had to say about that now. No, I don't mind. The eighties are wonderful. My eighties are all guitar driven. Yeah. I mean, it's just the you know there's just that thing about look I don't live in the past. I own it. Yeah. You know, I mean, I, I, there's, there's more to me than the past. There's right. the present and the future. And, be, and before the 80s, all the big hits were the 70s, you know? Yeah. So, I mean, isn't it, every time I think of you back on my feet again, head first, midnight rendezvous, they're all from the 70s. Yeah. yeah. I, I know, yeah. I love the I love the babies, and I love this current album. It's great stuff. I mean, I, oh, thank you. So good. Our, our fans, trust me, they're gonna they're gonna love. They love you from 1975 to 2007. <laughs> yeah, I like that. See, I can live with that. I mean, that's you know that's the best part about it. I'm more proud of the 70s than anything because that was made in a fearless kind of rough and tumble, brave way, you know. And uh, I just I'm very proud of the work in the 70s. You awesome. know, I just really completely. If, if it was like. If this program was about the seventies, you know, I'd be sort of phoning you back with new ideas in about <laughs> half an hour. You know, you couldn't get rid of me. <laughs> you know, you have balls the size of church bells for asking him to record that bumper. I know you thought that was the wrong thing to do. <laughs> no, I thought it was pretty funny. But here's what I really like about John Wade is that missing you. You know, a lot of these, uh, you know, uh, a lot of ballads. Uh, 
I don't know, that somebody writes them on a tour bus surrounded by groupies, you know, and they're just like, oh, that sounds good. But John Wayne, I mean, Missing You really came. I know. You know, you can't think of him as, as MTV 80s guy anymore. I mean, after you hear that interview, he sort of takes on a different um, level. I mean, he's, Yeah, Missing You means a lot to him. Right. It means a lot to a lot of people because a lot of people have covered that song, including Tina Turner. Brooks and Dunn covered it. But uh, you know who I'm actually missing? And she should be sitting right next to you right now, but she's yeah. not. Kathy Wass. This is the first show that we've recorded since she left town. It's so lonely in here. It's so lonely. <laughs> it and is. We miss Kathy. She uh, emailed me today. Did she? Yeah. She's in, she's in Missouri right now. They're on their way to Seattle, and they're stopping in Missouri for why, I don't know. Why anybody would stop in We've got to get her on the phone for a show. We will. But uh, she checked in and said, you know, everything's fine. They're on their way. So I ain't missing you at all, Kathy Wise. <laughs> oh, man. Anyway, no, I'm so show. psyched. I'm psyched let's, for a show make now. out. What? Uh, nothing. Again? Did I say that? Did I say that out loud? <laughs> anyway, just a reminder. Uh, John Waite, Eddie Money, Rick Springfield, September 15th at Clearwater's Resort. We'll be Hall. there. Oh, yeah. Come We're supposed to introduce him. We're supposed to introduce oh, all three acts. This I'm is the one nervous. where uh, we actually have to put the... Money where the uh, bellies are supposed to go. and <laughs> I'll do it. It'll be fun. So we get, he, he invited us backstage for a beer, and uh, I think we'll have to take him up on that. Indeed. Anyway, that's all we got for this week. Uh, join us next week here on Stuck in the 80s. Stuck in the 80s is produced by the St. Petersburg Times and TampaBay.com. To read our blog, go to blogs.tampabay.com slash 80s. Email us at stuckinthe80s at tampabay.com and remember to subscribe to the podcast at iTunes.